championship weekend. The weekend before the big game in two weeks. And there's a lot to be decided. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the fabulous, fantastic football Friday edition of Snowman in the Morning. Nice to have you with us wherever you are, wherever you may be in the region, across the nation, and around the world. We're happy to have you following this program. And I'm excited because I finally got some time to clean up the the, the, the podcast feed. It cost me a night of, uh, cost me half a night's worth of sleep, but I was determined to get it done, and I'm going to put the finishing touches on it today after I get off the air here. Man, we got much, much, much to do. Of course, Mike DeBate will join me later on to discuss the championship games and a couple of coaching hires, and then I will have R.L. Bynum on the docket as well. So let's get into this, shall we? Well, well, first of all, let me say we're presented by Beamer Tire and Auto. Try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. All of the questions surround Patrick Mahomes. Will he play on Sunday? That's the first question. And the second question, as we'll look at the AFC Championship first, the second question is... Can the Chiefs win the AFC title without Patrick Mahomes? Well, yeah, they won the divisional without Patrick Mahomes, even though Patrick Mahomes was knocked out, suffered a concussion, and as the, as of this moment, he's still in concussion protocol. Now, if it comes to where we get some, we get a piece of news that he will or will not start during the airing of this program, then we'll tell you. But I expect him to come out and play as the old offspring uh, song goes. I expect Patrick Mahomes to be ready. I expect him to be prepared. I expect this Chiefs team to be prepared. I expect everything for Kansas City to line up the way it's supposed to line up. The biggest question should be not surrounding the health of Patrick Mahomes. The biggest question should be surrounding this. Are the Buffalo Bills the most dangerous team left in the playoffs? And yes, they are. There's only one piece of the puzzle that is missing when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. And that piece of the puzzle is a running game. A consistent running game. I've said it the entire playoffs. The teams that win run the football and run it well. Now, Mike and I are going to break this down later, but the Buffalo Bills are the most dangerous team remaining in the in, in the playoffs right now, especially playing for the AFC Championship, playing for the first AFC Championship since 1994. And... It should be, it should be the most dangerous place for the Bills to be because they're going on the road to Arrowhead Stadium and there's going to be some noise in there playing for the AFC title. 
But let's go on the Wayback Machine for a little bit. I'm starting to like that. I'll turn it into a segment some kind of way. Let's go back to 1992. January 1993, to be exact. And the Buffalo Bills, I believe that's the only time in their four Super Bowls that they played on the road for the AFC Championship. And with that in mind, Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills went on the road and beat Miami, who had the high, the second highest scoring offense in the AFC at the time. And the other part of this is they held the Miami Dolphins, Dan Marino and all, to 10 points. They held them to 10 points. They beat them 29 to 10 at Joe Robbie Stadium. I don't care what it's called now, a hard rock stadium, whatever. They beat them at Joe Robbie Stadium. So it is not impossible at all. It is not impossible for the Bills to go on the road and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, especially when the rumor and the talk is that Patrick Mahomes may not be available to the Chiefs, that Patrick Mahomes may not be ready. I expect him to be, but there's always that, there's always that, that, that one percent, that's the word I'm looking for. There's that one, there's that one percent. The Bills have been the most dangerous team in the playoffs. I'll say it again. The Bills have been the most dangerous team in the playoffs, and they beat the second most dangerous team in the playoffs to open their playoff run, and that was the Indianapolis Colts. I'm sorry, I didn't say it right for my Dr. K, who's smiling at me. The Indianapolis Colts. But Chad Henney is a 13-year veteran for a reason. He found a home with Andy Reid. Andy Reid trusted him to make the right play. Andy Reid also showed a lot of gumption to call the play that he called. To call the play that he called on fourth down in the shotgun with basically one back in the backfield. Okay, now this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to watch. And when I bring Mike on here, he'll help me close. He'll help me close the show. And we're going to see how this how this plays out. I expect this to be a shootout. I expect this to be a shootout. I expect this to be like a 35-31 game. Basically, what I'm saying is it may come down to the point of whoever has the ball last will win. Okay? That's what I'm saying. Whoever has the ball last will win. That's what I see from 
Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes may open the scoring, taking his team down to score in four plays. Josh Allen may take his team down to score in three plays. That's the kind of game I expect in the AFC Championship. In fact, I expect him in both of them, and I'll break down partially the NFC Championship in just a moment. I expect it to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I That's what I really, really expect this game to be with two of the young guns in the game. Josh Allen is coming to Arrowhead Stadium to challenge the king in Patrick Mahomes, sorry Tom Brady, and take away his AFC Championship. It'll be the first of many for Patrick Mahomes. That's my feeling. It'll be the first of many. But Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, I believe, are going to have multiple times where they compete for an AFC championship. It's going to be multiple matches with these two. So I will say well ahead of time, do not be surprised if Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes meet for the AFC Championship at least three times. At least three times. Because you got to figure Indianapolis is going to have a hand in it. Maybe Baltimore will have a hand in it. And I say maybe for quite a few reasons that I outlined earlier in the week, all of which concern one Lamar Jackson. But you never know how this is going to play out. But I just expect the AFC Championship to be a scoring fest. And yes, if Patrick Mahomes will not be able to go, I expect Andy Reid to tell Chad Henney, you're only going to do two things. You're going to turn and hand the ball off, or you're going to throw the ball 35 times. This is what I've... This is what I feel. But either way, it's going to take at least 35 passes for whoever is the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, Henny or Patrick Mahomes, to win this game. Because Josh Allen is a young gun who's growing up right in front of our eyes, and he is going to come out guns a-blazing. Okay? Okay. To the NFC Championship now. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers in a matchup of 12s. And this is the first time in his career. The first time in his career that Aaron Rodgers is hosting an NFC Championship. The first time he's hosting an NFC championship. And I think this is the perfect time. This is the absolutely perfect time for Aaron Rodgers to prove he is on the, I'll say it, on the precipice of greatness. Why am I putting it that way? Because there is one important fact, one important fact that you guys need to remember about this NFC Championship game. And it concerns Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has played in four championship games 
since he won the Super Bowl in 2010. All four have been on the road. He is one and three in those championship games. One and three. You know what that one win was? 2010, when he went to Soldier Field, and this is the Bears are my home team, so I'm going to throw a little side note in here and throw a little shade at the same time. I have said this about the Chicago Bears, and I will continue to say this about the Chicago Bears, even though they are my hometown team. I'm from Chicago. But let me say this about the Bears, and you can see it with their actions with Trubisky and Nick Foles and everybody else who's come through, and Matt Nagy, who was supposed to be this offensive genius from being under Andy Reid. You would think there'd be some results already. But in essence, what I have said about the Chicago Bears since that NFC Championship game has held water. They took a kick in the you-know-where and a punch in the mouth from a non-healthy Aaron Rodgers on the first drive of the game. He walked the Packers down the field on the first drive of the game in seven plays and stuck it in the end zone and snatched the heart and soul of the Chicago Bears on their field, and the Chicago Bears have not recovered since. Why do I say that? Because if they have recovered, A, they'd have a quarterback, which I'm hoping Mitch Trubisky will turn out to be after all. B, they'd have a more consistent offense. And C, the coaching staff in the front office wouldn't be this dumpster fire that has been in place for a long time. I hate to say it that way, but I'm going to say it that way. Here's to hoping, okay? Listen to me carefully. Here's to hoping that this offseason, the Bears clean all that up, okay? The Bears got to the playoffs this year. Back their way in, but hey, they got in at 8-8. Eight and eight. I want to see them rule the NFC North. I was about to say NFC Central. Next year. I want to see them run away with the division. Now, with that note aside, after Aaron Rodgers walked down the field in seven plays and punched the Chicago Bears in the gut, the Bears have not been the same because Aaron Rodgers snatched their soul. And that ain't the first time. Anybody remember 4th and 8 from 2013? Yeah, so do I. So do I. I was sitting in Bar Louie when that happened. I was sitting in Bar Louie when that happened when a whole bunch of Bear fans around me lost their faces. And I told the waitress that was, was, was serving me, bring me another beer and bring me another meal. That meal wound up being on the house, but I digress. Should Tom Brady retire? Should he win the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl? I don't think he will because, see, with folks like Tom Brady, he reminds me so much of Michael Jordan. I never thought I would put those two players in the same sentence. Here's why I make that comparison, because Tom Brady's never satisfied. Or as Mike DeBates says very eloquently, and I hope I get this right, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. is never satisfied. Just like Michael Jeffrey Jordan is not satisfied. 
or was never satisfied until he shot his final shot and ended a brilliant 15-year career. This is a career that spans 21 seasons. And now Tom Brady is on the precipice of doing something that only Joe Montana has come close to doing, hosting a Super Bowl in his own stadium. You know the story, 1984, it was scheduled to be at Candlestick Park, but the turf was bad at Candlestick Park after the fans stormed the field. After the 49ers shut out the Bears 23 to nothing. One of my favorite games, by the way. And they moved it to Stanford. And Stanford was what? Stanford's what? 20 minutes from San Francisco? What's Palo Alto? About 20 minutes from San Fran? So they had a built-in back door. As much as I would like to see Tom Brady do the impossible, and as much as I don't like seeing Tom Brady do the impossible, that threat is there that he can and will do the impossible. As much as it causes me to say all kinds of bad voids that I'm not going to let loose here, that possibility is there. That possibility is present. That possibility frightens the ever-loving blank out of me. It does. It frightens the ever-loving blank out of me. So should Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers retire? Should either one of them win the Super Bowl? I don't know. Aaron Rodgers has already said, you know, I love the future. I love the future how it looks right now. It's a beautiful mystery. That's Aaron Rodgers saying that. I don't know what the blank Tom Brady is going to say. Going to be fun to find out. It's going to be fun to find out. There's my opening lineup. And speaking of the lineup, on the lineup today, R.L. Bynum, excuse me, R.L. Bynum to talk North Carolina Tar Heels basketball. And, of course, Mike DeBate will join me at the bottom of the show for our picks for championship weekend. We're just getting started on this fabulous, fantastic football Friday edition of uh, Snowman in the Morning. When we come back, in lieu of the headlines, and I know Desmond's going to bark at me about this, I mentioned Lamar Jackson and why he deserves much of the blame for Baltimore's playoff loss at Buffalo. But there was another name that I mentioned. I'm here to list it in case you missed it. That's next. You're listening to Snowman in the Morning. We roll on here on the program and R.L. Bynum now joins me via the Beamer Tire and Auto Hotline. How are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. Doing good, aren't you? Doing good, doing good. Well, whole lot's on the docket here. Let's just uh, get right to it. The Tar Heels beat Wake Forest Wednesday night. Talk to me about the progression of freshman guards R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. R.J. Davis has been playing well for two or three games, but I think uh, that Caleb Love's game last night made it kind of been a breakout game for him. Uh, his his shot hasn't been going for him, and that's started to come together last night. Made a couple three-pointers. And uh, I, th- I think the, his shooting struggles kind of affected his whole game, it seems like. But uh, last night he kind of put it all together. 
he still needs to be more of a distributor, uh, but that that hasn't come yet. Hopefully that'll come uh, next. The, but he only had one turnover the last 28 minutes on Wednesday night, so he's progressing. But he, he came in with a lot of pressure as a five-star recruit when you're coming on the wings of Joel Berry, Kobe White, and Cole Anthony. Uh, and I think he, he felt the pressure. He talked about after the game on Wednesday how he's been meditating to kind of ease his mind. So uh, he has been dealing with a lot of stress. But, uh, yeah, RJ has, has uh, really showed his versatility in the last few games, good on defense. He can create things on offense, make, make uh, the jumper. Uh, what, what's an interesting dynamic is the last two, three games, uh, Roy Williams has avoided playing Love and Davis at the same time. I think a couple of games ago, they only played about a minute and a half together. And that was the case for the for most of last night, but la- last two or three minutes, he played them together. And I don't know if he didn't trust them together at the same time or, or not, but uh, I think if they're going to be successful, they're going to need both of those guys in there and playing well. Uh, obviously, Anthony Harris is going to help quite a bit in, uh, in uh, the backcourt to dispel those guys as well. How about freshman guard Curran Watson? How big of a surprise has he been for the Tar Heels? Well, Curran Walton, uh, Roy Williams said before the season that uh, Walton was the best shooter on the team. So uh, that doesn't come as a surprise at all. I, it. It just, uh, I guess, the past uh, nine games, it's kind of clicked for him. And uh, he has the ability to make it from from anywhere on the court. He's obviously got the green light. So, yeah, I don't think the, the, his shooting prowess is, is, is uh, that surprising. The fact that he's become a really good defender might not have been expe- expected as much. And, uh you couple those two together. That's why it's been in the story lineup the last few games. This next fellow I've talked about a lot, especially early on in the season. That's big man Armando Baycott. He seems to be getting better each time out. Do the heels truly have the best front court in the country or are there still some pieces missing? Oh, I don't know. Florida State's got a pretty good front court, as the yeah. as we saw on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I mean Carolina should have one of the best front courts in the country, and the and it's kind of hard to understand why they aren't dominating the boards more than they are. A lot of the problem seems to be the inability to finish inside. When they well, one they've had trouble at times getting it inside especially Wednesday night when Wake Forest was kind of packing in its defense uh, in the first half. But uh, then when they got it inside, they've got it inside the last few games, they, they just have had trouble finishing. De'Ron Sharp has missed a lot of easy shots. Uh, Kessler has kind of struggled. Armando Baycott, though, has been the most consistent. And uh, – there were some stretches uh, in the Wake Forest game where he just wasn't getting the ball. And you could kind of tell he had a big three-point play in the second half, and you, you saw the emotions, and you could almost feel him thinking, finally I got a chance. But, uh, yeah, he's he's gotten so much better than last season. 
and clearly is the most consistent threat inside for Carolina. North Carolina State Saturday at 2 p.m. It's uh, Carolina, North Carolina State. Big, big rivalry. What do the Heels need to do to even the season series with the Wolfpack? Play defense. I mean, that had, that had to be the worst defensive performance all season for Carolina. Uh, they they have to – and they have to figure out how to handle the uh, – the, the uh, screens and the pick and rolls. NC State was just killing Carolina on those in the first game. Uh, and, you know, ball screens have been an issue the last couple of seasons, and uh, it just really uh, exploded in the game at NC State. So defense is the main thing, and, and, and if they can come with some uh, defensive – with some um, perimeter shooting, which has come of late, Kerwin Walton hadn't really emerged at that point. Uh, if they can get some perimeter shooting to kind of loosen up the inside uh, so that uh, Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks can do their work inside, that'll make a big difference. But, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Roy Williams said that that was the worst defensive performance in his coaching career. So, uh, he's – most likely going to be reminding them of that repeatedly before Saturday, assuming the game is played. So I, I would expect a uh, different effort on the defensive end. Who are you more concerned with with the teams having troubles, Carolina or Duke? Uh, I I haven't watched Duke nearly as much as Carolina because I covered Carolina, but. Um, I think uh, they both have issues. I know I saw a Joe Lenardi uh, uh, projection that had Carolina in the field and, and Duke out of it, which is, is stunning. I mean, it, it really, when you think about the, it was what, 1982, the last time Duke and Carolina weren't ranked the same week. So it's really surprising that uh, it, it if you're a fan of both teams, I think you might be more concerned if you're a Duke fan at this point. I mean, uh, they, they just uh, can't seem to have any consistency, and they probably should have beat Pittsburgh the other night but just couldn't get it done. I made a point on yesterday's show to take a little trip back to 1995. That's when I saw through my eyes the most inconsistent Duke team compared to this one would that be a fair comparison or is there another Duke team that has been horribly inconsistent as compared to this one this year well a bad back year would be the the year that would come to mind when Krzyzewski was out and Pete Gaudet came in and they they did horribly but other than that yeah 95 would, would probably be the most inconsistent and it's really it's really hard to understand how it happens that way, but you know when you're bringing in so many new players every year, you you can't expect them to automatically click every year. You can talk to John Calipari, John Calipari about that kind of issue. So uh, you know, Shostakovich's done it pretty consistently, bringing in the new players and thriving, and you just can't do it every year. Yeah, so true, and we're seeing a down year in the ACC this year. Is that a, is that a surprise for you to have 
two of the top blue Very blood much schools. So. I mean, yeah. uh, this is just about as down as the ACC has been. Yeah. yeah, about as down as the ACC has been. How big of a surprise is it for you to have the ACC this far down? Yeah, it, you don't expect that Florida – who would expect that Florida State would be at the top and really you have to debate – which team is the best one after them? You know, is it Clemson? Is it Virginia? Virginia? Probably Virginia after what they did to Clemson. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the teams that you expect to do well aren't doing well, and, and that's, that's probably not going to excite ESPN because the, that Carolina, those Carolina Duke games aren't going to bring in the ratings that they have in past seasons. Yeah. But – I still, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think Duke or Carolina is a contender to make a deep run in the tournament. But I do think that Carolina is making the strides that they they may be able to do a little damage for a couple of rounds. But um, you never know. Uh, uh, Roy Williams has had has had teams that have uh, struggled early in the ACC and gone on to win national championships. I don't see that happening this year, but they have won three of four, and the, and the one they lost was to a really good Florida State team, but you have to add that the uh, point guard Scotty Barnes missed that game. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if they'd have played them as closely if they had Scotty Barnes. You can ask NC State about that. But, uh, NC State got crushed with uh, Scotty, Scotty Barnes in the lineup against Florida State. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. It's North Carolina and North Carolina State this Saturday, 2 p.m. And he is R.L. Bynum talking all things North Carolina Tar Heels. Follow him online, if you would, please. Give him a follow at R.L. underscore Bynum. Thanks a lot, my friend. Appreciate the time. All right. All right. You take care, man. Thanks. We'll be back with more. This is Snowman in the Morning, back in a flash. All right, time to wrap things up here on this edition of Snowman in the Morning. Folks, please do me a favor. Join the Patreon for some great, great stuff for only 5 bucks a month. That special is good through February 8th. I promise on Monday I'll explain why. But that $5 level is only good until February 8th. Go to patreon.com slash official SIT morning. And speaking of the morning, let's close out this Friday morning with some championship picks and this is where Mike DeBate comes in. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Brian. Always a pleasure. Still can't believe it. It's hard to believe that we're here on conference championship weekend, but here we are. The NFL season went through without a hitch for the most part, and uh, it's just uh, it's amazing. And looking forward to a fun weekend of football. Conference championship weekend is always exciting with a trip to Super Bowl 55 on the line. Absolutely astounding that we got through this season. And we're at conference championship weekend. A couple weeks after that uh, is indeed the Super Bowl. But before we get to our championship picks, Philip Rivers decides to hang him up after a 17-year career. I give you the floor for your thoughts. You know, Philip Rivers was a player that I had the privilege of being able to cover during my time on the Chargers beat. And, you know, I watched him begin his career as a backup and, you know, eventually taking the reins in San Diego in 2006. 
The team made the playoffs in six of its 14 seasons, including the first four of his career. He also helped the Colts reach the playoffs this year, as you very well know. You have a close connection to that team as well. And one of the things that really uh, is indelible about Phillip Rivers is his durability, his ability to play through injury. I watched this guy play through a torn ACL in the 2007 AFC Championship game against my beloved New England Patriots. I gained such a newfound respect for Phillip Rivers at that point and watching him go through something like that, strapping the team on his back and really taking this team uh, to the heights that he tried to do as best he possibly could. Unfortunately, not a Super Bowl championship on his resume, but there's plenty of, uh, of accolades to go around. One of the more indelible memories, though, that I'll have about Philip Rivers is my first year covering the Chargers and hearing about the Chargers move to Los Angeles. And Philip was conflicted about whether or not he wanted to move his family to Orange County and whether or not he wanted to take his children and his wife, Tiffany, and move to, to Los Angeles, uproot them from San Diego, where they had spent pretty much all of uh, uh, you know, their, their children's lives and uh, pretty much all of Philip and Tiffany's married life. They decided not to do that, and because Philip was so dedicated to the team but also dedicated to his family, he made the commitment to commute from San Diego to Los Angeles, which is not an easy commute. That's, you know, that, that's a pretty hefty commute. In order to do that and make the best use of his time, Philip hired a driver and had the back of his SUV converted into an area where he could watch film going to and from the stadium to make his time last, to make sure that when he got home, he was able to spend time with his family, uh, the type of quarterback, uh, you know, that teams do want and teams will play hard for. You hear the uh, the great amount of respect that so many of his teammates, former teammates and opponents have heaped on him the last couple of days. He deserves it all. Uh, he's going to coach high school football now, which is amazing because he still maintains that love for the game. Uh, but I think he knew that his time was up. 17 years he wore the number 17 you gotta love the alliteration factor when it comes to that uh, a great career for him and whether or not he does end up in canton someday probably a conversation for another day he would get my vote but uh, i understand the argument the other way as well but uh, a great career and congratulations to philip uh, and i wish him the best in all his future endeavors and i say because of his durability that philip does get my vote to get into Canton. I talked about that uh, to open yesterday's show and comparing him to Eli and also to Big Ben. You can throw two other quarterbacks in the conversation, Drew Brees and, of course, the great Tom Brady. You know, for five quarterbacks that have definitely left their imprint in this century on the NFL. Absolutely, without any question. And, you know, players that have played during the era of some of the all-time greats, have the tendency to be forgotten. I shouldn't say forgotten, but have a tendency to be uh, downplayed uh, compared to some of the greats that they've played against. You look in the NBA especially, and I think of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, two players we grew up watching, probably idolizing. Uh, you look at guys like Isaiah Thomas, and you look at guys like Charles Barkley, and players that played alongside them that never really got a chance to reach the heights that some of these other guys did. Jordan, you think of Clyde Drexler and some mm -hmm. of the players that played in his era. Uh, Philip Rivers is forever going to be overshadowed by the multitudes of success that both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning had, both playing in his conference. So it was an unenviable position for Philip to be able to have yeah. to tangle with at least either Manning or Brady almost every time he tried to make a playoff run or get into a conference championship game. But make no mistake about it, this is a guy who is going to finish 
you know, with uh, fifth as, uh, you know, all time in, uh, in passing yardage, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, touchdown passes, he'll finish fifth as well. Uh, so there is a great deal of pedigree in his resume. But uh, you look at some of the players that he's played against. You mentioned Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees probably, uh, you know, going to ride off into the sunset this year. I think Ben has one more year left in him. But at this point, it's interesting to see these players now and where their place is going to be among the all-time greats because now we're seeing guys like you know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is kind of mm-hmm. the anomaly here, but we're seeing the next generation of great quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, at the top of that list, but now you're seeing even guys like Justin Herbert emerge uh, and then make their claim toward uh, being maybe the next great quarterback in this league. So um, a lot to, uh, to like about uh, quarterback play in the NFL right now, but uh, always give the guys there just do and take everything into context when you look at their career uh it's not all about just the reputation or it's not all about just the numbers that are on the uh the the uh, the page you got to take under context what these guys did in the era in which they did it let's talk coaching hires because there are two very significant ones let's start let's start with the jets and hiring robert sala uh, former 49er defensive coordinator energy guy he's going to bring it each and every week i didn't think he'd leave san francisco but you know he felt the time he felt the time was right your thoughts on this move I like the move for the Jets. I think this is the right hire for them. I think this is the smart hire for them. Uh, I think they essentially played this as well as they could have, and they found the right man. And it sounds very unusual to say that about the New York Jets. This is not an organization that's known to have made great decisions over the years when it comes to putting people in place that can put you in a position to contend. But Robert Sala is definitely at the top of that list. Um, I agree with you. I did not believe that he was going to leave this team. I thought he would stay in San Francisco. I thought that might be his best option. Maybe go ahead and once again resume his uh, you know search for a head coaching job maybe in the 2021 offseason heading into 2022. But this is an opportunity for him to be able to play uh, or for him to be able to coach in the in the, in the pros. It's tough to turn down that lore. There's no question about it. When you're an assistant and a head job comes, regardless of where that head job is, it's very difficult to turn that down. But there is a future in, uh, in, in New York. If he feels that Sam Darnold is the best fit for him moving forward, then he's going to be able to, to do that. And don't forget, he is taking uh, LaFleur with him uh, to be able to help cultivate that offense. So there is going to be a distinct 49er flavor in the Meadowlands on the green side of the Meadowlands this year. And I, I think he may have the quarterback that he's looking for. If, in fact, he doesn't, then you have the second pick in the NFL draft probably looking at a guy like Justin Fields, unless for some reason uh, there tends to be a little bit of a souring between now and then for Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that will be the case. Uh, But the Jets do have some options now. So it's going to be interesting competing with some very, very good head coaches in the AFC East with obviously beginning and ending with arguably the greatest coach of all time and Bill Belichick in New England, whether the Patriots are competitive next year or not. Going head-to-head with Bill Belichick is always going to be a match of wits, and good luck to the opponent that has to do that. But Sean McDermott has done a tremendous job in Buffalo, and Brian Flores is emerging as one of the best head coaches in the NFL. So it's going to be a tall task for Sala, but he is up to the challenge. He was the right hire for the New York Jets. How about Jacksonville with Urban Meyer? Was this the right hire for the Jacksonville Jaguars? 
Well, if they wanted to make a splash, uh, then it was the right hire. Uh, I have my doubts about Urban at the uh, professional level, and we actually talked a little bit about this last week. I talked a little bit about it this week on Locked On Patriots. And look, nobody is denying Urban Meyer's prowess. One of the great college coaches, uh, you know what he's done at the, you know between the University of Florida, what he's done at uh, um, Ohio State is something that's uh, you know indelible, and he he will always be a legend at the college coaching ranks. But few, if any are able to make that leap so successfully and be able to lead a franchise, especially a franchise right now that's looking to rebuild in the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's not joining a team that is essentially ready for prime time. He's getting a young quarterback that he can mold likely in Trevor Lawrence. But where do you go from there? There's a lot of draft capital. The Jacksonville Jaguars do have some draft capital. They do have some cap space available. They will be able to rebuild this team. But I think the jury's still out on this one. I still have to see Urban be able to do it at a pro level. He's going to need to stack that up, that uh, uh, that coaching staff. And it looks like he's already started to do so with pro-level talent that can scout professional players and be able to bring them in savvy veterans that know how to mentor young players. Because I think Urban still has a very good eye for college talent. It's going to be all about whether or not he can bring in the right professionals to be able to meld that team into a contender in the near future. Now to finish things up, we go to the 49ers as they promoted linebackers coach D'Amico Ryans to defensive coordinator and run game coordinator Mike McDaniel to offensive coordinator. A lot of people doubt it right now, but I still say the 49ers are in very good hands. Oh, I think they're in excellent hands. The 49ers are a team that has a very deep coaching tree. And look, they coach these guys up. Kyle Shanahan is obviously the son of Mike Shanahan. You look at these guys that have been cultivated in this type of environment, and you know the closeness between guys like Shanahan and Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells going back years and years, Bill Walsh. These guys are all connected in a way that really sets them apart from their peers. They prepare each and every day for that next man up mentality. It's not just on the field, folks. This has to do in the coaching room as well. So when you look at losses of guys like LaFleur, like guys like Robert Sala, you have coaches in place that are able to take over. I look at New England this year, losing a legend at Dante Scarnecchia on that offensive line. Mm -hmm. They replaced him with Cole Popovich and Carmen Brasillo. The Patriots' offensive line was not their problem this year. That unit was well-coached. It was well-established, uh, and that coaching staff really took to the lessons and the example that Dante put forth. If you look on special teams, the Patriots had arguably one of their best special teams years in a while, and that's saying something, considering that Joe Judge has been such a great special teams coach up here in New England for so long. Cameron Osher did a phenomenal job of taking over for him and really even taking this uh, team to new heights. So just because the name is not a household name yet, folks, and don't get me wrong, that's no disrespect to uh, uh, to the 49ers assistants. They're very good names, and they're going to they have an established resume all, all set. But at the same time, you look at what they're going to do, they are in very good hands because they're well-coached, and it starts at the top with Kyle Shanahan. And, of course, and they get all the players back from injury, including – Jimmy Garoppolo, they get a healthy team next year. We hope we get the, uh, a, a full off season. There are doubters. You've talked, you and I have talked about the many doubters of the 49ers 
and not realizing they've been littered with injuries. And even given the fact that they were littered with injuries, sixth best defense in the NFL this year. Absolutely. And you know what? With all of the injuries and all of the difficulties and the setbacks that they've had, this is a team that competed for a playoff spot, and not a lot of people would have ever given them a chance if you looked at all of the difficulties and the gauntlet that they had to run through this year just to get through the 2020 season. I know the San Francisco 49ers were glad to see the page turn from this year. Right. 2021 is definitely going to be a lot more promising. They're going to get a lot of health back. They're getting their franchise quarterback back, folks. And in that regard, I think they're going to be right there again in the thick of things in the NFC, maybe even in the driver's seat to compete and go very far into the playoffs next year. I'm always high on the 49ers, and I remain so just because I think they have one of the most talented rosters and coaching staffs from top to bottom. And it's going to be proven next year, and it's going to be proven the next couple of years. We talked about how health could affect the 49ers' title defense. Now they're going to have that hunger to get back to where they were a year ago, which is NFC champions. And speaking of NFC champions and speaking of championship weekend, the time has come to make our picks, and it's brought to you by Action247.eu, an online sports book and casino. Use the promo code SNOWMAN and get a 50% sign-up bonus with your first deposit. I know the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs are supposed to be the feature game, but there's still a question mark surrounding Patrick Mahomes. I do think he's going to play. I'm going to start with the AFC Championship. Look, folks, growing up, the AFC Championship was always uh, the, the the side dish to the, to the main hors d'oeuvre. Even when you talk about quarterbacks like uh, Kosar and Elway and Marino, it was always the it was always the side dish, and that's how I'm going to open this one. The Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, what a gamble by Andy Reid on fourth down last week to throw a to to throw a pass to uh, Tyree Hill by your backup quarterback. And you get the first down and you seal the game and the Browns have nothing, nothing to hang their head about. They have a lot to look forward to next year. But you got a team in Kansas City that can still play at warp speed even without Patrick Mahomes. And I tentatively say without Patrick Mahomes, but I really think that he is going to to play ah but i'm i'm torn about this one man i'm really really torn about this one about how how the 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 buffalo bills can go into kansas city and pull off the upset of all upsets kansas city's getting the points at home but I, this is a coin flip for me because we're seeing the maturation of Josh Allen right before our eyes, and of course, you know the home, you you know the home team, you know the chi- uh, you know the Chiefs, you know how this is going to be. I don't know. I say this is going to be, this is going to be razor thin, as you as you like to say. This is going. To be, this is going to be razor thin, and you know something, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stick with the home team. But I will say, I would not be surprised to see the Buffalo Bills pull the upset. The Chiefs are favored by three at home. This could go either way. 
you know what? I'm going to go with my heart and take a flyer and call for the upset. I say I'm going to take the Bills, even though I should know better, and I'm taking those three points. You know, I'm very, very tempted to do the same thing, my friend, because I think there's a lot of factors that could essentially play in the Buffalo Bills' favor this weekend. Look, there's no question. Kansas City's chances of repeating are going to hinge very strongly on Patrick Mahomes' ability to play in this game. As the week has worn on, it looks more and more likely like he will be giving it a go on Sunday. And I agree. I think he will end up giving it a go. But there's no guarantee that he's going to be 100%. We don't exactly know how much uh, he's going to be hampered by concussion protocol, what may be some of the issues that he's had all week long recovering from that. So if there is, in fact, any type of crack in the foundation when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, Buffalo Bills are going to look to capitalize on that. Don't forget, these two teams met in week six. Chiefs won that game 26-17. to Wasn't really a great performance by either quarterback. Neither Josh Allen nor Patrick Mahomes really had their best game. If you want to take a look at who the star of that game was, it was really Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He mm-hmm. ended up rushing uh, for 161 yards on 26 carries. Clyde hasn't played since week 15. Uh, his status is going to be something that I would keep an eye on if I'm a Chiefs fan. I know Darrell Williams provided a spark last weekend against the Browns, but Edwards Hilaire would actually be a huge return for the for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs if he's able to go. But one thing that makes me believe that Buffalo could pull the upset is their defense is, I think, eager for a shot at redemption against Kansas City. And Buffalo's defense has been better each and every week. They're peaking at the right time. They're healthy at the right time. They have the middle part of that defense back. Matt Milano is so important to the way this team is able to stuff the middle, be able to get guys up in the front seven, stack the box, stuff the run, prevent any type of rushing problems, and then that secondary can go to work. One of the best man-to-man coverage secondaries in the uh, uh, NFL. With, you know, We talk about Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde at the safety position, Josh Norman at the other side of the, uh, uh, the cornerback uh, position. This is a lethal defense when they're playing at their uh, best. Problem is, is Kansas City's defense, Kansas City's offense, excuse me, is even faster than that Buffalo defense, and it's going to be a track meet. Who is going to be able to keep the pace up for 48 minutes up and down the field? If in fact the uh, the um, the Kansas City Chiefs can do that, and they can make uh, you know more plays, keep the Buffalo defense on its heels then you're probably looking at the hometown team repeating and heading to try to -to back-to-back a uh, a Super Bowl. If, in fact, Buffalo can get some key stops, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, and allow their offense to go to work, which can be lethal in its own right, the Buffalo Bills have a lot of offensive weapons. Dare I say they might be uh, better on offense than they are on defense, and that's saying something for Buffalo. I think this is going to be an excellent game. The fact that this is an arrowhead and the fact that Mahomes is going to be back in the lineup leads me to lean toward the Kansas City Chiefs, and that is what I'm picking here. But I think, again, razor-thin game, and it would not shock me to see the Buffalo Bills pull the upset here. They can do it, and they can do it on both sides of the ball. And the the number for over-under is 54. I'm going to say over on that, given these two offenses and given the fact that Josh Allen is licking his chops for the challenge in Kansas City. Now to what I feel is the feature game, the NFC Championship, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Tom Brady trying to do what Joe Montana came close to doing, and that is hosting a Super Bowl in his home park. He nearly did it in 1984, but the turf got wrecked by the fans, so they moved it to Stanford. 
Packers favored by three, over-under is 51 in this game. And remember, they met earlier this year, and the Buccaneers mauled Aaron Rodgers. Here's the difference. That game was in Florida. This game's in Wisconsin. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm going to take the points, and I'm going to say over on that 51. I tell you, it's hard to say that you're going to be, uh, you know, wrong in that situation because <laughs> look, it, the, the odds are stacked against, and they're definitely uh, stacked in favor of the Green Bay Packers this weekend. The frozen tundra that is yeah. Lambeau Field uh, right now. The weather forecast tends to be frozen. The forecast is calling for temperatures in the high 20s, chance of snow showers. Hopefully, the football gods will give us some snow in this one, and it'll really, really be an interesting and yep. very aesthetically pleasing game to watch without any question. And you're looking at two of the greatest quarterbacks of the last 10 years without any question. Absolutely. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, two of the best to ever play the game, definitely two of their best in their generations. Fourth head-to-head meeting between Brady and Rodgers, of course. Two of those took place in uh, in, in New England, uh, where Brady was in New England. Brady's got a two-to-one edge here. And you did mention Rodgers had his worst game of the season come against the Buccaneers back in week six. Completed only 16 of 35 passes, 160 yards, no touchdowns, two INTs. You never see uh, Aaron Rodgers out of his game like that. It was very unusual to see. And boy, did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense come up big and really confuse him and put him on his heels. You hit the nail on the head, though, my friend. That was in Florida. This is in Wisconsin. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have a much more difficult time scoring on that on that Green Bay defense. I think the Green Bay offense is going to find a rhythm against this Tampa Bay defense, which can be erratic at times. They look very good against um, uh, you know uh, Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints on Sunday, or Saturday, I should say. But at this point, it's going to be a lot different. Aaron Rodgers is going to make the throws that Drew Brees could not make. He's going to make the plays that Drew Brees could not make. This one's going to come down to the wire. I think Aaron and Green Bay are going to be able to score on Tampa Bay's defense. But again, until <laughs> it's proven that he can't get the job done, I just cannot, with all the New England rolling through my veins, cannot <laughs> pick against Thomas Edward, Patrick Brady Jr., he punches his ticket to the get to the Super Bowl, going for his seventh ring against the defending champions. I say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take this, and I say they take it by a field goal. It is not going to be easy, but Tom's going to find a way to get it done. It's not. It's not going to be easy. It's these are two of the most fun championship games I know I'm going to lay my eyes on in a long, long time, a very long time. And earlier in the show. I went back and looked at a couple championship games that I had fun watching where my team didn't win. Both of those involved the New York Giants. Of course, I'm talking about 1990 and 2011. And the common denominator on both of those games, they were won by a field goal. Of course, the second one, 2011, was won in overtime. So we're on opposite ends, but it's going to be razor thin both, both ways. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of these games wound up in shootouts. Even in, even on the frozen tundra, we like to call Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's Mike DeBate, the man in charge of Locked On Patriots and one of the men in charge of full press coverage, wrapping up the week as we love to do, talking all things NFL. 
And, folks, when the draft comes around, there will be no other pair that will have the best coverage for you of the NFL draft from team to team and from pick to pick than when Mike and I put it together. If you listened to the last couple of years, you know we're going to be loaded again this year. Always a pleasure to have you on, my friend, to wrap up the week. Can't wait for championship weekend. Always my honor. Always my pleasure, my friend. Looking forward to doing this next week and beyond when we're previewing Super Bowl 55. Stay safe and stay well, my friend. Talk to you soon. Stay safe and stay well, my friend. Thank you. And that is going to do it for this week. And I'm going to get the heck out of here. I want to thank everybody that came on today. Kevin Avery joined me uh, this morning. R.L. Bynum and, of course, Mike DeBate. Uh, doing our picks. Our picks are brought to you by Action247.eu, the online sportsbook and casino. If you use the promo code SNOWMAN, you get a 50% sign-up bonus with your first deposit. My time is up for the week. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move. And always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. I am, and I hope you all are too. I'm out of here. See you Monday.